Okay, the second reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendour. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Hello there. Great to see you this evening. Uh, can I add my welcome to Isaacs? It's great to see you. My name is Rick. If we haven't met before, I'd love to catch you after the service uh, this evening. If you could keep your Bibles open at Luke chapter 4, that's the one that we're going to be looking at a bit more now. Uh, Isaac's already prayed, but I might pray again. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we want to be people who see Jesus for who he is. We want to be people who know the truth about him and we want to be people who draw near to him in trusting him. And so we ask that this evening, that all that we do looking at him and who he is and what he has done for us, will do that in each one of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't know what it's like for me. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to be me. I wonder if you ever said those words or had someone say them to you or even just thought them in some situation. You know, my situation, my difficulty, the struggle that I'm facing is not something that you can understand and so you can't stand over there and tell me that you know what it's like or tell me what I should or shouldn't do in this situation. And certainly you can't judge me for what I do or don't do in this situation because you don't know what it's like to be me. Whatever help you think you can provide for me is going to be limited by your limited experience. I wonder if you've found yourself thinking or saying those things. And, and that we do look, we do want people to be able to, if they're going to sympathise with us or help us in some way, to be able to say that they've walked alongside us in some capacity. That's one of the reasons why we have kind of support groups. I was speaking to someone this morning uh, who uh, has a, a family member who's a cancer survivor and the way that she had found help through people who had gone through it with her. And we want people who, who can know the experience if they're going to help and support us in our difficulties, in sickness, in addiction, in loneliness, in loss. 
We want people to be able to say that they've experienced something alongside of us if they're going to in any way be able to help us. So what about when it comes to Jesus, when he wants us to come to him and to listen to him? I wonder if we've ever found ourselves saying to Jesus, maybe not in quite those words, but you don't know what it's like to be me, to be in my situation. It's all well and good for Jesus to make certain demands of me or to tell me to come to him, but he should come and walk a mile in my shoes and see what it's really like. Of course, that is what Jesus did when he became a man. Not just a mile, but the whole way. He lived the life that we live. And in today's passage, we're going to begin to see that he experienced temptation like we face. His temptation was uniquely targeted to him, but also I think we'll find profoundly helpful for us. And so what we're going to be doing this, this, afternoon, this evening is going to be uh, looking at the temptation that Jesus faced and what we can learn from it. And so you notice that this is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and the devil tries to derail Jesus from his mission, tempting him onto a different path. That's what's going on here. You might remember if you were here last week that there was a voice of God from heaven saying about Jesus, you are my son who I love, I'm well pleased with you, you are my son. And in this passage when Jesus is being tempted by the devil, we find ourselves asking the question, what kind of son is he going to turn out to be? That might seem like a strange question. But you see, Jesus is not the first person to have been called the son of God. In fact, if you've got a Bible open in front of you there, if you look up just one verse from the one that we read there, the one before chapter 4, it speaks of Adam as the son of God. There's a whole long list of names leading back to Adam. It ends with verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam was also called the son of God. Adam who was tempted in the garden by the serpent. And then in our passage, Jesus is immediately sent into the wilderness for 40 days. And if we've read our Bibles, then that should kind of make us think of Israel who went into the wilderness for 40 years. And Israel were also called the son of God. And God's words to Jesus, you are my son, are words that he also said to King David in Psalm 2, you are my son. And so what we have is Adam, son of God, Israel, son of God, Adam, son of God. And now the devil speaks to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do this. See, the devil is tempting Jesus to be a son of God that the devil wants him to be rather than what God wants him to be. And so, as I said, the big question hanging over this whole episode is what kind of son of God is he going to turn out to be? Because you know what all those other son of God, sons of God had in common? They all failed when tempted. And so is Jesus also going to be a son of God who fails when tempted? That's the question that kind of hangs over this whole episode. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at each of the three temptations that Jesus faces and then we're going to see three things that we can learn from them. So let's have a look at the temptations themselves. Jesus, we're told in verse 1, is sent out into the wilderness by the Spirit and tempted by the devil for 40 days, not eating anything. And by the end of it, we're told he was hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like one of the biggest understatements I've ever heard, 40 days not eating, and yes, he was hungry. 
And it was in that moment of extreme hunger that the devil came to him at the very at his most urgent need, speaking into his hunger, the very thing that he was crying out for. And he said this in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, I have to admit, I don't know what you have thought when you read that, but I've often found myself thinking, what would have been wrong with that if, if he did that? You know, what's wrong with turning stone into bread? Would that have been so bad? He could do it, why shouldn't he? And I think the answer comes from Jesus' answer, from Jesus answer to the devil and the verse that he quotes back. You see, Jesus quotes some words from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy to the devil and he says, man does not live by bread alone. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And I want to read the whole verse because I think it actually helps us to understand what Jesus is getting at here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Moses is speaking to Israel about what happened when they were in the wilderness. And he says, he humbled you, that is, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, like Jesus, Israel were hungry in the wilderness and God was teaching them to rely on him for what they need. That even the most basic necessities of life, like food, that actually is not the source of life. God is, and God wanted them to learn that. He wanted to teach them that. He wanted them to trust him in that moment. And now here's Jesus, also hungry, also in the wilderness, literally starving. And so the devil tempts him with that very urgent need. Don't you have the power to meet your own need? And so the question is, well, what kind of son of God is he going to be? Is he going to use his miraculous power to meet his need, to fill his stomach, to end his hunger? Is that the kind of son of God he will be? Or is he going to trust that actually this bread that he's crying out for for his stomach is not the source of life? God is. And so he's going to trust God even in his hunger. And Jesus did not fail the test. That was the first test. The second temptation is again about what kind of son of God Jesus is going to be. And this time the devil is offering Jesus the very thing that he will receive as the son of God. Let me read from verse Five. Now, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. See, Jesus as the Son of God, was destined to be the ruler of the world. When he came into the world, we're told he, he gave up all that, ruler, uh, that, that rule that he had, but he was destined to become the ruler of the world. He didn't have it yet, but he will. And we discover at the end of Mark's Gospel that he does again. He says at the end of Mark's gospel, sorry, Matthew's Gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Or again in Philippians it says, that after Jesus' death and resurrection and into the future, every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, Jesus was headed towards his destiny as the ruler of everything. 
But it didn't come easy for Jesus. For Jesus, the road to that destination was the path of the cross. It was the way of suffering. It was the way of humility and humiliation and pain. And now at the beginning, before any of that, the devil says, I can give you that by a much easier way. You don't need to go through all that. I can give you the authority and splendor of the kingdoms of the world. Simply worship me. It's that easy. Now, as we read it, I suspect we kind of have our understanding of Jesus kind of speaking into this situation and find it entirely unlikely that Jesus would ever give in to that temptation. You know, Jesus is beyond temptation, surely, and certainly not devil worship. But have a think with me about how tempting this must have been. If you fast forward to the night before Jesus died, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees, pleading with his father with sweat like blood dripping from his face and saying, if there is any other way, please let's do that instead. I don't want to do this. Or then when he was on the cross and people mocked him and ridiculed him, they beat him and they killed him, the very people that he came to save, the very people that he had created, they said, if you are the son of God, come on, save yourself. What kind of son of God is he going to be? Is he going to be someone who saves himself? Is he going to be someone who takes the glory without the suffering? That's what the devil is offering Jesus here. The authority, the splendor by an easier path. The very thing that he was pleading with his father for in the Garden of Gethsemane. This temptation was very real. Now Jesus could have ruled the greatest kingdom on the earth, if only you will worship me, the devil said. But again, Jesus resists. And again, he quotes from what God wanted Israel to learn. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. However tempting the alternative, Jesus will worship and serve God only. That's the second temptation. And finally, the third one, where the devil takes him to the top of the temple and says, throw yourself down. You know, God will save you, won't he? This is a temptation to prove to himself and to everyone else that God is on his side. You know, God had said, you are my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. And so the question is, is Jesus going to take his word for that or is Jesus going to test whether it's really true? Like when Israel tested God in the wilderness, will he really care for us? They didn't believe it. They grumbled, they complained. Show us that you really care, God. Will Jesus demand a dramatic display of God's care and protection and power for him? Or will he trust what God has said? It would have been impressive, wouldn't it? Big swan dive off the top of the temple and then being caught in midair before he hit the ground. It certainly would have shut his critics up but it also would have led him on a path to be a different kind of Messiah, a different kind of Son of God, outwardly impressive, rather than humble, rejected, suffering, but trusting God. Those are the temptations that Jesus faced, and in each of them we see that Jesus was the Son of God who did not fail when tempted. 
where Adam failed in the Garden of Eden, where Israel failed in the wilderness, where David failed when he was tempted, Jesus did not fail. And so he is like the new Adam, the new man who didn't fail. And what I want to do now is I want to look at three things that I think this means for us. And they are that Jesus is fit to be the son of God that we need, that he knows what it's like to be tempted and that he gives us an example to follow. And so firstly, that Jesus is fit to be the son of God that we needed. See, if Jesus had done any of those things that the devil tempted him with, then he could not have been what we need. He could not have been what we need if he had given in to those temptations. We didn't need someone who could miraculously do whatever he wants, who's never at the mercy of human needs, of human weakness like a superman. We didn't need someone who could rule an earthly kingdom, even if it would have been better than any other kingdom that has ever existed before, and it surely would have. We didn't need someone who could show in the most dramatic way that God was on his side. What we needed was someone who would humble himself and become obedient to death on a cross for our sake. We needed someone who could stand before God for us and represent us as the new Adam, someone who was fully human in every way, who knew what it was like to be tempted, but who did not give in to that temptation, our representative. And that's exactly what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to flick to that. I think it might be on the screen behind me though as well. Hebrews chapter 2 says this about Jesus. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus needed to become like us in every way so that he could represent us to God. And I suspect, as I speak to people these days particularly, that the way that we're most likely to misunderstand Jesus in this way is to not really appreciate that he was fully human, that he was fully capable of being tempted like we are. And instead, perhaps, that he just kind of looked human, maybe you know, God in a human suit, so to speak. You're kind of like Superman when he's dressed as Clark Kent. You know, you put the, the glasses and the nerdy hairdo and all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that he's just a regular guy, just a mild-mannered reporter. But we know that's not true, right? We know he's still bulletproof and can fly and all the other things that Superman can do. And I wonder if we kind of think the same things about Jesus. Yeah, kind of he looks like a, a, a human, but it wasn't quite the same as it is for us when he faced the temptations that we face. It wasn't the same. But no, it was. Cut him, he bleeds. Deprive him of food, he starves. He gets tired, hungry, sad, wound him badly enough and he dies, which is exactly what happened. The mission that God gave his son Jesus was to die for the sins of the world, humiliated at the hands of his creation. That was the most difficult thing for any human to have ever faced. It was a real temptation and the devil tempted him to take a different route. That's what was on offer before him. Be the son of God who uses your power for your own benefit. Be the son of God who takes the glory without the road of suffering. 
Be the son of God who glamorously claims all protection against any kind of danger that could possibly come to you. But he didn't. Jesus knew that he was to be the son of God who would suffer and die for the sins of the world. And when tempted away from that, he did not fail. And so he is fit to be the son of God that we need, fully human, fully tempted, but without sin. And thank God for that, right? Yeah, praise Jesus for that. As, as I hear this, that, surely that should be our first reaction. Surely we should just want to praise him that he did do what he did for our sake and that he didn't give in to that temptation. Not for his own benefit, but for ours. And because of that, he is fit to be exactly what we need. That's the first thing I wanted to point out. The second thing I wanted to highlight for us is that we can come to him in our own temptations, whatever they might be, because he knows what it's like. He does know what it's like, which is where we started at the beginning. Now, there is no temptation that you face or that I face where we can say to Jesus, you don't know what it's like. Now, of course, Jesus didn't know what it's like to be tempted to speed down Castlereagh Road. You know, donkeys don't go that fast. Of course, he never experienced temptation to become obsessed with cryptocurrency or online trading in some way that fuels greed and dissatisfaction. Of course, he didn't have the particular temptations that the internet puts before us with porn or with finding our identity in social media or whatever else it might be. There will be temptations that are particular to you or to us that Jesus didn't specifically experience, just like future generations will have temptations that we've never even heard of. But Jesus did face temptation at its very essence, the weakness and need of the human body, the whispering of the devil to doubt the goodness of God, to distrust the goodness of God and to take what he thinks he needs rather than to trust what God said. Jesus experienced temptation even more acutely than we ever will, and he didn't fail. And because of that, and this is the point, and because of that, we can come to him in our own need and our own temptation, knowing that he does know what it's like. That when we come to Jesus, we won't find a critical, a judgmental, a superior Jesus. We will find one who is full of mercy and full of grace to help us in our need. He knows what it's like. He can help us. And finally and thirdly, Jesus gives us an example to follow. Now, these temptations actually were unique to Jesus as the Son of God. I've never been tempted to turn bread into stone into, into bread. I don't think I'll ever face that temptation. But he does give us an example to follow in how he faces them. That in the moment of temptation, he trusted the goodness of God however it might feel at the time. And that trust meant that he could see his own needs as severe as they were, he could see those in the light of a God who loves him and know that that is more significant than this. And that trust meant that he was committed to what God wants for him, even if that was difficult and not what he wants for himself. And it meant that he doesn't need to test or doubt that God is on his side 
because he trusted his words. Think about for a moment how difficult, different sorry, that is to Adam and Eve when Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He caused them to doubt God's goodness. He twisted God's words. He mixed truth and lies together. Did God really say that? That is so unreasonable. God doesn't want what's good for you. You need to take what's good for you. That's a tempting whisper of the devil. And Adam and Eve gave into that temptation, but Jesus didn't. And so in that, he gives us an example to follow. And I wonder if, if you could have a think about what temptation it is that you're facing at the moment where you need to hear Jesus' example, trusting the goodness of God, believing that God wants what is good for you and knows what that is and not the example of Adam in your situation. And if I could just kind of add on to this section of the example that, that Jesus gives us very briefly, that is we can't know the goodness of God We can't know what God wants for us. We can't know what God is like. We can't refute the lies about God or about life if we don't know God, if we don't know what he's like, if we don't know what he says, and if we don't know what he's done for us. We need to fill our ears and our minds and our hearts with the goodness of God and his word in Scripture because we will hear other messages all the time. So we need to fill our our minds with what God says. So how can we do that if we're not reading it, if we're not listening to it, if we're not talking about it, if we're not hearing it taught to us? We need to know what is written in the Bible. And I'll just leave that there to talk more about another time. But let me finish. Because Jesus was tempted and did not fail, he is the one that we can turn to when we are tempted and even when we fail. Let me read what it also says here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It talks about Jesus as a high priest, that is someone who represents us to God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the goal in coming to Jesus is not just to make us feel better about our failure. The goal is that we can draw near to God in confidence of forgiveness because that's where we find the help that we need. I'm convinced that the best way to stand firm in the face of temptation is at the feet of the king who has been there before us. At the feet of Jesus who offers us forgiveness that he has won for us. That's where we fall to our knees in humility and where we see the example of Jesus who wants us to live differently and who picks us up. He says, you're forgiven. And he picks us up and he helps us to take the next step that we need to take in the life that he wants us to live. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, you do know our hearts, each one of us. You know our minds, you know our lives, and your son Jesus has lived this life. And so, Father, we ask that you help each one of us to come to him. 
to come to you through him, trusting the forgiveness that he has won for us and letting him take us forward in the next step of trusting you and living the life that you want for us. Father, may that help us in the temptations that we face, not to give in to them, not to doubt what you want for us, but to live a life of trusting you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.